How can a deceptive narrative about an incident come to be deeply believed even by those who may have witnessed it or participated in the event? Can people really be made to accept a false representation of what happened? Is it possible to convince individuals of something they know is likely untrue? For example, a growing number of people are currently accepting the assertion that the world is flat and not a sphere. They accept this position despite the fact that mathematically, through geometry, supported by direct observations from both Earth and space, it can be emphatically demonstrated that the Earth is a globe. Some time ago, I was speaking to a flat earther and explained to him that my previous studies in cartography, today called geographic information systems, included a graduate course in remote sensing, working directly with downloads from Landsat satellites, which were in a circumpolar orbit. That is, they went around the planet passing over the poles on each orbit, showing that the Earth is a sphere. This person simply refused to believe this and chose an alternate reality. He had been convinced by a series of articles he read, which were not based in fact, but rather declared what he wanted to believe. At times though, people are legitimately deceived into accepting that which is not true. This is especially the case when everyone, including media, is propagating the same message. I shall be right back to tell you a story, a true story, which demonstrates how thoroughly an alternate reality can be seen to be factual. If you think you cannot be deceived, let me tell you a story. On August 19, 1942, 16,000 men supported by over 200 ships of different sizes and capacities appeared off the coast of Dieppe, France. They were an attacking force, the largest element of which was drawn from the Canadian Army, primarily units from Quebec, Ontario and Saskatchewan. They were in the center of a major offense on a German-held French port on the English Channel. On their flanks, unobserved by German defenders, were smaller elements of elite British commando units. Of the 5,000 Canadians who hit the main beach on time and withdrew precisely on time several hours later, over 3,300 became casualties. The Canadians landed on a beach swept by direct frontal fire in broad daylight. Amazingly, some actually made it off the beach, punched through German defenses, and penetrated well into Dieppe. The seemingly absurd battle raged for hours, ending when the Canadian forces withdrew in landing craft, manned by Royal Navy seamen of incredible valor. The withdrawal was worse than the attack, but still the force withdrew save for thousands of dead and wounded lying on the beach and those taken prisoner by the Germans when they ran out of ammunition. Little was said of the raid back in England and eventually official papers released to the media caused the conclusion to be drawn that the raid was a disaster with thousands of lives lost for nothing. This is what is still believed by the majority of people. Was Dieppe indeed a failure?
If so, why did William Stevenson, author of A Man Called Intrepid, call the Dieppe raid a tremendous success? Why did Lord Montbatten, then chief of combined operations, call it the Great Deception? I first got a hint that there was more to the 1942 Dieppe raid than was declared to the public media when I was working as an intelligence officer in the Canadian Army in 1971. Some reports seemed to indicate that there had been a great deal more going on than was officially communicated. It was not until 1976, 34 years after the event, that some files were declassified and Stevenson, who had himself been trained in aerial espionage as a British fighter pilot in the Second World War, published an amazing revelation of many of the wartime operations in his book about Sir William Stevenson, no relation to the author, whose codename was Intrepid. The latter was the head of British Special Operations Executive. Sir William Stevenson had an operative working for him named Ian Fleming, who became the author of the James Bond novels. James Bond was a fictional character, but many say he was patterned after Intrepid, who was Canadian. In chapter 41 of A Man Called Intrepid, Stevenson tells the unknown story of Dieppe. Even though the events in Stevenson's accounts are supported by both actual evidence and comments and attestations of many, including Lord Mountbatten and Lord Lovett, the founder and leader of British commandos, who himself was at Dieppe, the world continues to believe it was a defeat. Why then? Does Stevenson state on page 408, almost all the survivors thought of the Dieppe raid as a failure. The hard decision had been made that they could not be told otherwise, but it had been a tremendous, if extravagant, success. Many of the Canadian participants who survived thought to their dying day the raid was an utter catastrophe. So secret were the objectives, they had to be concealed at any cost. So why the need for the Great Deception, as Montbatten referred to it? Early in 1942, the Russians were putting severe pressure on the British to open a Western Front against the Germans. The Americans, who had joined the war only after the Pearl Harbor attack, had agreed to provide heavy equipment to Britain, but some in the United States did not feel the British would use it as they seemed to be delaying invading France. While Roosevelt wanted support to go to Britain, many in America favored directing all war effort against Japan. At the same time, as Stevenson reveals in page 402, Soviet Foreign Minister Molotov, under Stalin's orders, was starting to conduct some secret negotiations with the Germans for a peace treaty, which would cede much of Eastern Europe and vital oil supplies to Germany. The British learned of this through their code-breaking service at Bletchley Park. Churchill had to do something big enough to convince the Russians and the Americans that they were not yet ready to invade. He wanted rather to build up strength until it was at a level where absolute victory would be assured. Additionally, code-breakers and on-the-ground intelligence learned that the Germans were designing their own new version of radar and had put their latest unit near Dieppe. It had to be studied to help prevent losses in the planned massive bombing raids 
that were soon to begin against Germany. The Germans had also captured many senior leaders of the French resistance and were holding them in a prison inside Dieppe. The loss of these men would be devastating to French resistance movements and to the organization being established by General de Gaulle from Britain. Finally, there was the challenge of how to plant German-speaking spies in German-occupied Europe. Borders, ports, and all normal entry points were swarming with German police and soldiers. Some of the large number of Sudeten Germans who had fled to Britain in 1938 were later trained in Camp X near Kingston, Ontario, and given new identities, some with ranks and positions in the German army by British intelligence. They were bravely taking on a dangerous mission, but a way had to be found to get them into German-controlled territory. A raid would serve that purpose. The large Canadian force was intended to be a diversion. It was big enough to look like the British were trying to capture a port, get a beachhead, and then roll troops in to expand it. Once the attack began, all German forces in the region were mustered to focus on the Canadian assault. Shortly after the raid commenced, unnoticed by the diverted Nazis, the British commandos came on the flanks. To the west, they landed and captured the German radar station, killing all defenders. Two scientists, one British, co-founder of radar, examined the equipment and removed the key components. The commandos then blew up the station and had a prearranged fighter bomber come in to give the illusion that the station had been destroyed in an air attack, removing suspicion of their presence. On the east side of town, commandos landed quickly and unopposed. They went around the town, captured the police station used as Gestapo headquarters, killed all the Gestapo members, and released the French underground leaders, and shook hands and waved goodbye to a large number of Germans who were opposed to Hitler and were now implanted in Europe, some within German forces. Simultaneously, during the confusion of battle, over 1,000 special communications were beamed into France to resistance groups, which went largely unnoticed due to the increased radio traffic as a result of the raid. The combined results of the raid were overwhelmingly successful. Every single objective was achieved. German radar secrets were revealed, and the British learned how to jam the signals, saving the lives of many thousands of Allied airmen. French resistance was re-energized and reorganized with improved communication plans and strategies. Hundreds of agents were planted inside Nazi-occupied Europe. Stalin was convinced the British had given a solid effort, accepted Churchill's reasoning that they were not ready for a full invasion, and halted any thought of a treaty with the Nazis. A few Americans who did take part in the raid were convinced as well that Britain had a desperate need for heavy equipment, giving Roosevelt the green light to pour armament into Britain. In the Canadian sector, as devastating as it had been, lessons were learned that helped make the invasion of Normandy so successful two years later. These included tank tracks just roll in the same place on pebble beaches, as if on ball bearings. Thus, two years later at Normandy, many lead tanks carried rolls of wire mesh to create a roadway across the pebbles, 
Flails were added on the front of some lead tanks to clear minefields that otherwise held up advancing troops. Landing craft were redesigned. Since they realized that ports were too strongly defended, they invented huge cement caissons that were floated across the channel during the Norman invasion and then sunk to create artificial harbors. The ability to turn any beach into a full harbor enabled the massive unloading of equipment. These were known as Mulberry Harbors. Even later, American landings on Japanese islands used many of the lessons of Dieppe. Hitler, in reading reports of the raid, was convinced that the Allies were planning to seize ports along the coast and thus felt the ports along the Atlantic Wall needed to be defended at all costs. Consequently, he retained 33 divisions of the German army in the French ports and coastal areas that may otherwise have been transferred to the Russian front. Stalin was grateful. The raid had brought so much success. Yet to be completely successful, it had to be made to look like a defeat. Lord Louis Montbatten, then Chief of Combined Operations, 32 years after the event, stated the following. Dieppe was one of the most vital operations of the whole Second World War. It was the great deception. Now, why do I tell this story? It is to emphasize that most of you have been likely told and have believed the story of the defeat at Dieppe. It was a deception so well organized that even those participants on the beaches believed it. They did not know the whole story. They believed the lie. My friends, this is the state of the world as we see it today. It is awash in lies and is deceived. The world, save for a few planners and historians, has been deceived about Dieppe, just as almost the entire world is also deceived about the purpose of humanity. So many today have dispensed with the notion that mankind is a result of a creation by a supernatural God. They might, in some cases, believe the story that we just evolved from non-living elements and molecules. This, even though basic laws of chemistry and biology, including the law of biogenesis, deny the possibility of such an accidental event. Others believe that we are a function of creation, but at the end of life the body dies and something called the soul wafts off to heaven, or if it hasn't been good, it's drawn down to hell. For those who claim the Bible to be the text upon which their religion is based, is that indeed what the text says? If you read the book before you hazard an answer, you might be surprised. If you wish to examine this question, please use the contact information below to obtain your copy of a booklet helpful in identifying how you may be deceived on this and other points. This free booklet, entitled What is the Meaning of Life, will reveal the answer clearly and the truth you will discover is both shocking and encouraging. Do take the time to order this free literature. I think you will be very glad you did. We have taken some time today to look at an example of how deception can be a powerful tool of manipulation. It can become so deeply ingrained that the truth seems like an error. Today, 
we see entire populations suddenly abandoning cultural and religious beliefs held for centuries. It seems the society as a whole, from its academics and politicians to educators and media, has completely forgotten the past and what used to be accepted as truth. It is like a cultural amnesia has struck the entirety of society in the West. How could this happen? Even to reference in a most respectful way beliefs that were firmly held by the majority in society only a few years ago, be they about resource development, gender issues, or religious values, can earn one the wrath of aggressive activists and media seemingly bent on changing how society should think. They will even change history to match the desired narrative. When deception is willfully forced on people through coercion, freedom of expression is suppressed and totalitarianism thrives. So how did we get here? You might find it interesting that just over 2,700 years ago, a member of an ancient royal family and first cousin to King Uzziah of the nation of Judah scribed the text of the scroll that's now known as the Book of Isaiah. All scholars, religious and secular, agree that the scroll of Isaiah was intended as a prophecy, in part for the descendants of Israel and Judah for a time in the distant future, at the end of the age. Pictured are very difficult and even horrendous times that would come upon these nations. He also provides a reason for these terrible events, as well as a way they could be avoided as individuals or even as nations. Isaiah writes about a characteristic of that age, indicating that it would be one that is plagued with deception, even self-deception. It would be a time when the opposite of what is right, and indeed the opposite of common sense, will be accepted as both right and normal. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Does this not sound familiar? Like what is happening in our day, in our society? Isaiah goes on to describe a future period when the justice system will no longer render sound judgment, and a time when truth will be suppressed, so that one who speaks the truth about matters, secular or religious, will be attacked. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. What could cause such a sudden change of beliefs and values to have occurred within a very few years in the society in which you live? In wartime, one can rationalize that armies practice deception to trick the enemy, and sometimes, as was the case with Dieppe, must not allow their own people to know the truth as it would compromise a larger strategy. But how is it that when we are not at war and enjoying a great period of prosperity, the societies of the Western world have turned social values on their ear and suddenly believe the opposite of what they once accepted. One of the causes is a loss of memory, national memory, 
School systems have stopped teaching our national history and the histories of the British and European societies that were responsible for creating the infrastructure and the political, social and religious culture that became Canada and the United States. True history, because it does not agree with the narrative of some of the social justice movements, has largely been abolished. The leaders of the past who sacrificed and worked so hard to weld these nations together are vilified and anyone who comes to their defense ridiculed or attacked. The young student today is denied the knowledge of the past and the ability to interconnect events of the past with those of the present. When people are ignorant, they can be made to believe anything. This applies to the origins of man and the meaning of life. It is mathematically impossible for non-living matter to have organized itself into intricate cellular structures with all the complex mechanism for self-replication, convert resources in their environment into energy, and then develop on their own over time to become incredibly complex series of ecosystems and marvelous life forms on this earth including human beings who somehow developed a consciousness and a creative intellect. In the past, people naturally reasoned that they were the product of a greater being with tremendous intellect and creative ability. The rejection of the mathematically necessary conclusion that we are the product of a designer causes people to lose the ability to fully reason. This was noted by the ancient scholar and minister we know as Paul. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You do not need to be deceived on such important questions as the origin and purpose of life. Throughout history, man has sought the answer to why we exist. Yet many today ascribe to the philosophy that such a question is foolishness, as life is just a random occurrence with no end game in mind. If one is convinced that life has no meaning, then they are freed from any obligations which that purpose may require. Order your free copy of What is the Meaning of Life to discover what most fail to understand. On today's program, we are examining the nature and power of deception. We have briefly discussed the origins of man and how creation clearly demands a creator. Yet many rush to attribute life to random chance, no matter what the mathematical improbability. But why and how can humanity be deceived on matters that are blatantly obvious? We are warned in scripture that there is a deceiver, a grand conspirator, not a person or organized group of human beings, but a being created long before the earth or mankind. He has become the leader of a rebellion against the true God of heaven. So the great dragon was cast out, 
that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. When man rejects the reality that we are all work of a great creator, we become vulnerable to the destructive deceptions of this other being, known in the Bible as the adversary or Satan. He is the one who is behind all the evil in this world and all deception. Note the words of Jesus Christ as recorded by the Apostle John speaking of this deceptive being. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. You do not have to fall victim to deception, nor to the terrible future events that will most certainly overtake this nation unless it has a very significant change of heart and focuses on reality instead of promoting social fantasies. Our free booklet, What is the Meaning of Life?, clearly shows there is a purpose for every human being on this planet. The story of Dieppe and the ensuing deception demonstrates how easily mankind can be deceived. You can exit from the darkness of deception. Truth is being put before you. Please at least take the time to check it out. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. We have been made free, but will only retain that freedom if we live in accordance with the truth of God, are about his work, rejecting the ideas of this world which are contrary to his teaching. Please join us next week when Gerald Weston, Michael Haykoop and I bring you more information about the issues this present world faces and the great hope of tomorrow's world.